welcome to episode seven of the So Video Games podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we're playing it, we'll be talking about it right here. My name is Brad Galloway. I am the editor of GameCritics.com, and I'm also 50% of this here show. With me, as always, is another member of the Game Critics staff, Corey Motley. Hello, everybody. Today, we are recording on November 20th, 2016, and as usual, we like to start the show with a few minutes of unnecessary banter that is not necessarily game-related. Corey, what do you got? Uh, I don't really have anything too exciting. Um, probably the best thing I can talk about is maybe I've got a friend in town this week um, who I'm really excited to see, and I'm picking him up tomorrow. He's visiting another friend over the weekend, and then we're kind of doing like a like a suitcase drug handoff tomorrow and i'm picking him up and then he'll be spending the rest of the week with me and he's like a friend from high school who dates back like we've been friends for like 13 years or something and uh i actually bought him this is going to be slightly tmi but i think it's pretty funny because he's got a really good uh, he's got a good attitude i bought him some very skimpy men's underwear to uh <laughs> to uh to i like whenever he was in college i bought some and sent them to him unexpectedly and he got a really huge kick out of it um and but he allegedly quote unquote lost them but he's also traveled a lot he like went to africa and like taught for a while and then he went to egypt and taught for a while so he's kind of been all over the place so i don't begrudge wow. i know i know he's done a lot of stuff and I don't begrudge him for losing two pairs of underwear while traveling, you know, across the world. So I just bought him a couple more pairs and I wrapped them in Avengers wrapping paper last night. And I'm really excited to see how funny and maybe embarrassed he gets whenever he gets to unwrap ridiculous sexy underwear in front of me probably tomorrow night. You should ask him if he's got a good story about losing him. Like, was he, like, out on the savannah and, like, a lion broke into his tent or <laughs> well, something? He was in Egypt and, like, a mummy came out of one of the pyramids and stole his, his little undies or what? Maybe he's got a story. I don't know. I've already asked him because I've given him trouble about it. Because um, I, don't, I don't know if you know this, Brad, but, like, if you get on Amazon and look up men's sexy underwear, it, it's kind of expensive. I mean, maybe not, like crazy expensive but so i mean I've, i have looked up many things on amazon but i have not looked up sexy men's underwear i'll just put that up front right now well i mean you can get like i mean they're small usually because you know sexy underwear is like pretty tiny and it's like you can get one pair for like 30 dollars. like i mean the you can get them down to like 15 or 18 or 20 but i mean the median is probably like 20 to 30 dollars and that's kind of a lot to pay for one pair of underwear so that's uh, a shitload i'll just be naked for free i don't need to spend 30 bucks <laughs> i will get a bunch of dlc or something instead i'm not gonna pay 30 bucks for underwear it's ridiculous <laughs> well uh i don't know that's that is that good enough banter for you i think that's that's pretty good banter this week pretty good <laughs> cool. uh so as what's for up me, with you as for me uh well this is thanksgiving week uh as far as i know and I don't really get along with my family very well. I mean, I, I don't know how deep we're going to get into the whole family dynamic stuff on the show, but it's no secret. Anybody that knows me probably knows I don't get along with my family, uh, and I don't spend a lot of time with them, basically zero. And whenever the holidays roll around, I have no inclination whatsoever to get together with them because we just don't get along, and I just don't want to suffer or subject myself to that ridiculousness. So for the last couple of years, uh, we've just been doing our own you know, little family, our immediate family, our nuclear family, where it's like my wife... Uh, my oldest son, if he happens to be here, but he usually isn't because he lives with his mom most of the year. And my son that lives with us now, so usually just the three of us for Thanksgiving. But, you know, it's like a lot of work to 
make the traditional meal and then you're cooking it and then you eat it and then you got to clean up afterwards and it's just the three of you and it's you know it seems like kind of a waste almost so this year we decided we're going to open it up a little bit we're going to invite some very close friends of ours to come and share the meal with us uh, they didn't have a family to be with either so it's kind of like the people who have nowhere else to go kind of getting together to keep each other company which i thought was kind of a a good idea something we're going to try our place is not necessarily set up for entertaining it's a pretty small place but you know the most important thing is just getting together. We'll have some good food. All of us can cook, which is great. Uh, might have another friend stop by after work, and we'll just all just hang out. You know, it's like you can't choose your family, but you can choose your friends. And if you choose your friends well, then you have another family. And that's kind of the way I look at it. So we're having we're having some good people over. And I think this year it's a lot of work and, you know, a lot of cleanup afterwards. But I think it'll be worth it this year. I think it'll be a good celebration. So I'm looking forward to it. Good. That sounds awesome. Hopefully, it will be awesome. I'll give you a full report afterwards, and I may even save you a slice of pie because my wife makes a tremendous pumpkin caramel pie. It is fantastic. Oh, my God. So good. Please send it in the mail to me. Like, overnight it across the country to me, if you will, please. If I, I think I have an envelope right here. I don't know what it's going to look like when it gets there, but I got a couple stamps. It'll, it'll get there at some point. Anyway, all right. That's enough, enough bullshit banter. I hate banter. All right. Let's move on to the main event and the reason you're all here, video games. But before we get started on this week's episode, we would like to invite each and every listener to send us your thoughts, feedback, ideas, anything else you'd like to. You can reach us at SoVideoGamesPodcast at gmail.com. We are also on Twitter at SoVideoGames. And taking just a moment right now to let you know that we are going to be talking about Dishonored 2 in depth. So there will very likely be some spoilers for the campaign. We're going to hold off on that until the end. And we will give you a very blatant, very clear, very loud spoiler warning before we do that. So please feel free to listen to most of the show. And then you can either hear the rest if you've already played Dishonored 2 or if you just don't care about spoilers. Or if you don't want to be spoiled, you can pause after we gave you the warning and then come back later. So with that said, I think think we are ready to chat which means that's right so watchdogs 2 created by ubisoft montreal published by ubisoft on november 15th 2016 available on pc xbox one ps4 cory motley you played it i mean a little bit of it well okay i mean we're here you want to <laughs> talk about it or uh yeah you and i as far as i know have played about the same amount but um let, uh, I will gladly take the lead on this one. Um, I played it for the first time just last night. I played for about two to three hours or so. And um, if anybody hasn't played Watch Dogs or Watch Dogs 2, basically the premise of the game, um, they both kind of have the same premise, but different lead characters. Uh, the premise of the first game was you play as this really lame white guy. And there's like a, uh, this company called Bloom b-l-u-m-e not b-l-o-o-m uh has created this thing called c-t-o-s and it's kind of like a smart system that spans an entire city and it kind of ties like all the surveillance in together like all the cameras and like basically it kind of turns the city into kind of like a big computer sort of um and you know so you can hack all the cameras and see everything and all the uh, unlocked doors and all this bullshit and you can like set off like steam pipes in the streets and whatever and the second game basically just kind of takes that idea and the first one was in chicago and the second one is in san francisco and now ctos has spanned the entire country so i guess the whole country is like 
tied together by uh, one kind of global surveillance system. And you play as uh, a guy named Marcus in the second one, and he is a black man, which I think is great um, because, you know, the first game, one of the biggest complaints about it, I feel like, was that the main character was just, like, the most boring, like, everyday white guy you could ever imagine. And uh, in the second one, so far as I've played it, you begin the game as uh, trying to get into a hacker group called DeadSec, which also existed in the first game. And you're in, like, a kind of like a gang um what's the word i'm looking for brad initiation like a hacker group or something yeah they, they're testing you to see if they're gonna if you're good enough if you're elite enough to get into their group yeah and in order to do that the, the start of the game opens with you uh doing like the tutorial mission is like an infiltration mission into blooms like a giant server farm in san francisco and you break in and you know you can like uh take out some security guards and then you actually hack into ctos and take marcus yourself off the grid completely which i guess is something like nobody has ever done before and then after that, they, like, welcome you into the hacker group. And then it just kind of turns into, like, regular open-world game from there where, you know, you have all of San Francisco to go after. Um, you can, you know, drive cars around. You can use your phone to do different stuff. And you can take on side missions and regular missions and online missions and all that stuff. Um, am I leaving Before we out? get too far from the tutorial, Corey, let me ask you real quick. I really, really want to hear your take on this. Um, what did you think of the tutorial mission? Like, before you get set loose in the open world, that part that you just described where Marcus needs to get into the, the building, infiltrate, remove his identity. What did you think of that tutorial mission? Any any thoughts on that in particular? Because I've got some thoughts, but I want to hear yours first. Yeah, I, uh, I actually thought it was fine. And I know like the, the Twitterverse has been very divided on this mission. A lot of people are like, oh, it was fine. And there's a lot of people that don't like it at all. And I mean, I thought it was fine. Like you start off on like kind of a rooftop and there's some guards scattered around and I, you just walk up to them and take them out and then you get inside the building and you're kind of like yeah i mean the kind of one of the things about the game is you can like hack cameras all the time so you can like hack the cameras and it highlights guards for you uh on your hud so you know where they are all the time and i mean i didn't really have any problems with that i thought it was a pretty standard infiltration mission but i'm also like that's the kind of mission that i like it was very like deus ex like so i mean that's the kind of stuff i'm interested in but what did you think I hated it. I'm on the other <laughs> side. I hated that tutorial. I thought it was awful. Um, I had only played the first Watch Dogs for a very, very short amount of time. Uh, and right when it came out, so I didn't have any real knowledge, like, carried over. Like, I didn't remember what the buttons were. I, I mean, I vaguely remembered what you did, but, I mean, just nothing in specific. And I felt like the tutorial kind of assumed that you knew what was going on. I mean, they do explain a few things, but I felt like they didn't explain enough. So, like, the idea of breaking into a high security place as a way of showing you your moves is a good one. I mean, I think it's a good idea, but I got totally stuck in the tutorial where there's this one section where you're in a very small room and there's nowhere for you to go. So you're stuck and they say, Oh, hack this thing that's in this other room and you can see it far away, but you can't get there. And I just did not know what to fucking do. And I was like looking around and I was like, maybe there's a vent I can climb through or maybe there's another door that I missed and I didn't know what to do and I didn't know what to do. I mean, I was, I was really, really stuck for like a long time and this is the tutorial and I was starting to feel really negative about myself and about the world and about life and everything in general. And then I finally realized accidentally that you were supposed to like hack a camera. And then with that camera, you look at like another camera and you kind of keep hacking in a chain. Now, now, as soon as I did that, I'm like, oh, that's right. They did that in the first Watch Dogs. I had forgotten about that. But they don't explain it. And I, when I hacked that first camera, I did not see the second camera. I just didn't turn the camera far enough. 
and I didn't realize there was a second camera, so I had like no idea what to do. And I got really stuck and frustrated at that point. And then after that, I just felt like there was like way too many guards. Like I was still kind of trying to come to grips with what was going on with my character, trying to learn the buttons, get comfortable with it. And just like a ton of guards just kept coming in and coming in and coming in because I kept getting spotted. And I was like, man, this is way too high pressure and way too unclear for me. Uh, maybe it was just me. Maybe I was having a bad day. Maybe I just wasn't in the right frame of mind for what it was trying to teach me. But I felt like in terms of tutorial, that is the part of a game where you need to lay it out in the most clear fashion. Welcome your new players in. Thank these people for spending 60 bucks and, you know, get them in and just teach them what's going on. Like, don't get fancy with it. And I just, I thought it was a really shit tutorial and I felt like it got me off on the wrong foot. I was kind of in a bad mood after that. Yeah, I mean, I guess the thing that is kind of non-representative about it is, I mean, it's a pretty standard open world game and the tutorial did not feel, because the tutorial feels like how some of the story missions are, but it didn't feel exactly like, I don't know, like representative of the open world nature of the game, maybe? Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably true. I just was like, I don't appreciate, like, I don't even know the buttons yet. And then all these guards are, like, swarming me. And I'm like, okay, well, wait, I got to run away. But I'm still trying to learn what I can do and what I can't do. And then it was like, well, hurry, hurry, hurry. And it just, it just felt like too much of a high-pressure situation. And granted, I could have just easily turned it off and restarted. And, you know, taken it as many times as I needed to to get into it. But I just... It just kind of soured me. Like, I was like, man, fuck you. Like, this is supposed to be like... And I bought this fucking game, too. Like, I don't buy a lot of games, but that particular day, I was really in the mood for something to play, and I had talked to a good friend of the show, Carlos Rodella, and he had nothing but good things to say about it, so he kind of swayed me, and I was just... I was feeling kind of bitter, but... Anyway, um, moving on past my inability to complete the tutorial, what did you think of the game once you got into the, the game proper, once you moved on a little bit? Well... To my delight, the very first, uh, by I think it's by happenstance, because at the beginning of like the open world section, you just like leave some apartment and you have to go buy pants, which sounds weird now, but if you played the game, it might make a little more sense. Um, and like the literally the first thing I did when I walked out of the apartment was I like jogged down the street and there was a woman walking her dog and a little button came up that lets you pet the dog. So I hit triangle and Marcus like, bends down and he like pets the doggy and that basically washed away any potential negative feelings i had about anything that had come beforehand because you get to pet dogs and watch dogs which is very appropriate but that point aside um it kind of feels like uh, like i hate to say this but it just kind of feels like every other open world game i've ever played like it feels very similar to watch dogs one but it also you can tell that it has a little bit more flavor and it's not as like dark and broody and negative because the first one was a very like dumb sort of like batman story and this one is like more fun it's about like hackers being silly but they're also trying to like oh like fuck the system and you know let's expose ctos to everybody it's kind of like i feel like the writers of the game maybe have seen like 25 percent of a documentary on like edward snowden and they're like all right let's use this as the basis for a video game story and write some cool quote unquote big quote unquote hackers into it because i i don't really care about the characters they're all kind of dumb as a matter of fact the only thing i like is that they're diverse like you play as a black man there's another black guy on the team um there's i think a hispanic guy on the team there's a woman and i don't know she doesn't look entirely white i don't know what she is but uh 
she could be like hispanic or asian or something but um i'm all about i said this like i say this in like every episode like a broken record like about diversity in gaming and everything but i i don't think that the characters are very funny but i also think that it's probably my lack of a sense of humor because i like a very certain kind of humor and i feel like the characters are all just kind of dumb like after the initiation mission they're like uh, they celebrate by like getting drunk on a beach and marcus like throws his phone in the river and i was just like what like it's just like did, didn't make any sense at all and then he wakes up the next day like after blacking out in an apartment and he like has a new phone and like the woman on the team like calls him from the phone and she's like oh yeah it's your new phone you threw yours in the river last night and i was like this doesn't make any fucking sense at all like what did they do just like 3d print a new phone for him like in their back pocket and then drop it off when he got drunk in this house it doesn't make any fucking sense but it's also not the kind of game you probably go to for a big compelling story. Um, but what did you think about all of that? Uh, you know, I wasn't a fan. I kind of regretted buying the game actually, <laughs> uh, which really sucked because it, I, I buy games for full price very, very rarely. And it, it just had hit me on just the right day. You know, like I was in a moment of weakness and I, I, I knew better at my core, but I went ahead and did it anyway. And I really regretted it. It did feel very much like every other generic open world game. And I felt like the story didn't do a good job of dragging me in. It didn't connect with me. Like, I, I did appreciate the diversity on the team. I thought that was cool. I noticed that right away. I thought that was a good thing. Uh, but as you after you start the mission, it's just like, yeah, bro, we're going to get followers. So go out and do something cool. And then we're going to, like, do something with your followers and just go. And I'm like, well, what am I? What? the fuck am I supposed to be doing? Like, I just get out here and I do random things and I didn't feel like there was enough direction. I mean, I don't mind a game being open, but like, let me get my footing first and give me a good idea of like what's going down and let me mentally kind of figure out what I need to do. And it just, it happened too quick for me. And the very first uh, time I, I step outside of the base, they're like, yeah, go to the park and see what's up at the park and do something cool, get some followers. And I'm like, uh, okay. And the very first, uh, thing that pops up on my menu or my radar or whatever is like a mission so i go over there to check it out and it's some guy like hey so and so's got a record and it's uh so you know somebody bought the record and we got to go get it and you know and i'm like what like who who are you and why do i care and what's this about a record and what's going on i mean i think it's kind of a play off of stuff in the news i mean there was i forget who it was but some rich guy bought like the unreleased Wu-Tang Clan album and he was bragging about having it. He was like the only guy in the world that had it or something. And so that's what that mission seemed to me like to be a playoff of, which, okay, I mean, cool if you know about that. And, but it just seemed really random and like it didn't have anything to do with me and I didn't really care. So I'm like, well, I'm not doing this mission. I don't care about this. I'll do something else. And then it was like, yeah, we watched this video about a Knight Rider movie that we like or maybe we don't like. I couldn't really tell if they liked it or not. But we're going to go and fuck it up and we're going to steal some stuff from the studio. And I'm like, why am I doing this? <laughs> I just I just don't I don't get it. Like, I don't f give a shit about any of this. And I did a couple missions and I just I just didn't care. I just fucking didn't care. I'm like, I can't get excited about this. I don't want to do open world shit. I don't want to like, travel to a marker on the other side of the map just to like have to drive or walk or steal a bike or something and get there and do some dumbass mission that I don't care about. And I was like, I'm done. Like I just, I just, I had zero fucks to give about it. So I, I bailed on it pretty quick. Oh man. I mean, I kind of agree with some of the stuff you're saying. Like 
the the weird thing that maybe we should have said or that i think is weird anyway like when you're talking about the followers is that like the the premise of this game specifically is the group that you're working with has created this mobile app and everybody it's kind of like um like everybody thinks they're like edward snowden and they're trying to like kind of like overthrow and expose the ctos system because it's kind of like a 1984 like big brother kind of thing and the point of the game is that you do things but instead whenever you finish missions you don't get paid and you don't get like respect you get followers for your app like the more stuff you do and it seems like a very strange way to like reward you for doing a mission because usually like in grand theft auto you get like money and then you can buy cool cars and clothes and whatever and and so the whole thing is kind of like a riff on like social media where like you're doing these like high stakes heists just to get just to get followers for your app so that everybody can be connected in the surveillance system to overthrow the surveillance system and i I don't know it's kind of uh strange and i i kind of feel the same way you do about this is like my big problem with open world games and this is like what i ranted about with about rockstar a few shows ago as it it's totally that like you get a mission you drive for three minutes across the map just to do a thing for 30 seconds and then drive three minutes back across the map to do a thing and clear the mission and i don't know it kind of feels like that Watch Dogs 2 is trying to be like as funny and hip as and as cool as maybe like saints row but it's not quite there but i'm gonna keep playing it i'm not gonna promise to finish it but i will keep playing it um so maybe it'll get better um like the more you play it but i'm not really sure yeah, I appreciate the steps that they made. I mean, regardless of what I feel about Watch Dogs 2, it's 100% better than Watch Dogs number 1. So I'll, let me just be clear about that. I don't like either one of these games, but I do think <laughs> Watch Dogs 2 is way better than number 1. Like, And I can I can see that. Like, That's not a problem. That's not an argument. So I appreciate that they changed some things, diversified the team, you know, changed the whole premise. It just, I don't know. I just am not in the mood for open world games anymore unless they have a hook. Like Witcher 3 I thought was great, and I could get into that, and that was an open world but there was enough content and quality in the world. Like you had these really interesting stories and you did a lot of interesting stuff and you found interesting stuff as you walked around. So it made it worthwhile, but this just feels like the typical go here to this objective, do this thing, come back. Just like you said, and I'm just not a customer for that anymore. And this is just like, we're going to wrap this up in a second, but I just want to say really quickly, um, I was really annoyed by like the pause or lack of a pause. Like when I play a game, and I want to pause. Like, I, I have a life. Like, I live in the real world. Like, things happen. I get an email I need to respond to right away for work. My child needs something I have to go attend to. My wife wants to say something. I need to pay attention to what she's saying. I got to go take a leak. And I need to just, you know, do that. When I fucking buy a game, I want it to pause. And I just want it to pause immediately. And, and Watch Dogs 2, I mean, maybe I was misunderstanding something. But, like, you hit the pause button. Or what is usually the pause button in most games and then he looks at his phone, but you're not paused. Like, st- stuff is still happening. And then you had to, like, key over to another couple things. And then eventually you could, like, get to a pause. But it was, like, it was like three steps too many. Like, when I want to pause, fucking let me pause. Like, I don't care what you think you're doing or how smart or hip you think you're being. When I need to pause, fucking let me pause. And that just really, it really got under my skin. Like, I realize it's probably a small thing. And I don't know how crucial that would be later on. Like, I don't know if it's ever really, you know, if you're ever in the middle of a mission and, things are really tense and you know it's it's tough and for whatever reason you can't pause for some gameplay reason i don't know but like for me personally when i want to pause i want to fucking pause and don't mess with that so that was another kind of knock against it little thing but annoying and so concludes brad's get off my lawn segment of the so video games <laughs> podcast <laughs> just let me pause just let me pause
don't get him started on vibrating controllers either you guys oh god we're gonna do that next episode yeah seriously (laughs) (laughs) all right i think that's gonna wrap it up for watchdogs 2 a couple more topics on deck here i think i will take the lead on this next one and i will begin by saying so dead rising 3 created by capcom vancouver published by capcom on november 22nd 2013 xbox one exclusive which is weird now i've got quite a bit to say about this but Corey, i'm pretty sure you've played this before have you played dead rising 3 i wrote a review that you edited for this game so yes i did play it damn okay three years ago i don't remember dude because i got so much going on i'm constantly deleting stuff from my mental hard drive so i got no recollection what did you think of it brief thoughts I thought it was, well, I'll preface it by saying I only played a little bit of the first one and a little bit of the second one. The third one's the only one that I played all of. That being said, I thought it was mediocre. Really? Okay. Okay. That's good. All right. As for me, I played Dead Rising 1 and 2 and all the little DLCs. I think there was a couple like DLC episodes that were kind of like standalones or whatever. I like the series. I think it's pretty cool. I really like the first one a lot. I actually, as a matter of fact, I wrote a achievement guide for the first Dead Rising. And that was one of my very first like actual paid jobs in the industry, which is really cool. So I did that. And I do like the series. I like zombies. I like third-person action. I like action games in general. And I will also preface this by saying that recently, I've actually been in kind of a funk. Like, I... I've been playing a lot of games, and it's been really difficult for me to find the fun. I mean, if you follow me on Twitter, you probably saw me talking about this. But it was like every game that I played, I just didn't connect with. I just didn't click with. Nothing seemed worthwhile. Nothing seemed like it was good enough for me to sit in front of my TV for an hour. I just I went through a bunch of games where just I was hoping to find a spark and to keep to find something to keep my attention, and I just I just could not find anything. And it was getting kind of bad, like. I think probably part of it was like post-election depression. Like I was still really stressed out about the, you know, the Trump thing and all that stuff still going on and, and still am of course. But you know, I was just like, Oh my God, like I'm just so down and I just, I'm tired and I'm sad and nothing is really connecting with me. And then I was looking through my backlog and I'm like, Oh, dead rising three. That's right. I forgot I had this. And I'm like, well, okay, that, that might be okay. And I fired it up, had to reconnect the Xbox one, dust it off, find out, you know, how to, hook it back up to my tv and stuff and started playing and like it just like immediately brought back all of like the good things that i liked about video games it like was fun it was exciting it looked great like it kept my attention it was actiony like it really fired me up again and i'm like oh my god this is what it feels like to like video games i forgot like how great this was and how fun this is so more i mean beyond anything else that i'll say about dead rising 3 i'm really glad that it showed me like how fun games can be again because I was really kind of scared for a while of just like being just so down and just not being able to find enjoyment in something that I've loved for so long. Have you ever gotten in one of those funks, Corey, where sometimes it just seems like just nothing's fun anymore or you just don't want to play anything anymore? You ever been like that? Uh, I don't want to insult you, but I maybe have not. I maybe am not old enough for that to happen to me yet. Oh, dude. <laughs> oh, man. What? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Oh, well, it's coming. I'm sure at some point you will. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe. Who knows? Who knows? Fine. Don't don't empathize with me. Whatever, <laughs> fucker. <laughs> All right. So getting back to Dead Rising Three, this is uh, as you know third in the Dead Rising series. It stars Nick Ramos, 
a mechanic in the fictional city of Los Perdidos, which I guess is supposed to be L.A., I suppose. As the game begins, the zombie apocalypse has already happened. You are dead thick in the middle of it. And you don't exactly know who you are or what's going on, but there's zombies all over the place. And you got a GTFO. So it's a third-person action, open-world game. And I got to say, I don't remember a lot of people talking about this, but as I made my way through the tutorial, Nick kind of goes through this tunnel. Uh, there's like some, you know, like an overpass. It's kind of wrecked or something. And then he gets to the other side, and there's like an, like an, uh, like an outlook, an overlook. And he's looking down on Los Perdidos. And it was fucking amazing. It looked so jaw-dropping, unbelievable. Like, he's on top of this rocky cropping or something. And, like, down below, there's just, like, like a thousand fucking zombies. And they're all there. Like, they're real. It's not CG. It's not a skybox. It's not a backdrop. Like, it is an actual thing that's there in the game that you can go through. And you actually do have to go through it. And just seeing, like, how many zombies were on screen, it fucking blew me away. I was like, oh, my God. This is, like, so fucking next-gen. Like, I can't believe people weren't, like, shouting about this from the rooftops. It looks so fucking, like, ridiculous. And I totally, like, took some screenshots, and I just sat there for a minute because it was, like, a safe spot because you're up above everything. And I just, like, sat there and watched it for a few minutes. I was like, God damn. Like, all these zombies are moving, and there's, like, these cars that you can take, and they're parked over here, and everything's moving around and like it's like this ocean like this fucking ocean of the undead and it was just like so stunning i just i i could not believe it and it's not just that one scene because as you get deeper into the game the entire fucking city is crawling with zombies like so many and it sounds weird to say that because most zombie games have a bunch of zombies but this has more it has more zombies than like any fucking game i've ever seen in my life and i've played like almost all the zombie games and this is just like it's so fucking full of zombies. And it's weird because I've never seen anything on that scale before. And I, it was so amazing. I just, I couldn't believe that people weren't excited about it. I mean, I, I from a technical perspective, that must've been a real accomplishment. Uh, I don't think much of the Xbox one in general. I think it's a flaming piece of shit, but Capcom Vancouver did something amazing with it. Like they really must've known it pretty well to get that kind of, uh, that kind of performance out of it because man, it was just stunning. Like it was just blew me away. So, once I got over that and started playing the game, it was just, it's a blast. I mean, the premise of the Dead Rising games is that it's, each one is an open world. You run around uh, finding survivors, helping survivors, doing uh, missions that get you to your end goal. In this particular case, Nick and his friends want to leave the city because the city is about to get nuked by the government because there's too many zombies. And so there's a deadline, like five days. And there's actually a, a clock that counts down. So you have a bunch of missions and you got to pace yourself, you know, if you do this one mission, that means you might miss another mission. Or if you do the story mission, I mean, you got to hurry up and do that because you're going to run out of time if you do too many side missions. I mean, it's really generous in terms of time. It's way more generous than the other Dead Rising games have been. And in the past, they were very strict with time. And so you often felt rushed. You often felt like you had to make a hard choice. But in this game, it feels like there's plenty of time, which is good. I don't really like time limits. But getting out there and running around, I mean, it looks great. It handles great. Every system in the game has been improved. In the past, a big hook to Dead Rising was that you could take everyday objects, rakes, uh, a hammer, cardboard box, shoes, whatever, like anything that you had, and you could make combination weapons with these. Like you could take a steak knife and tape it to a boxing glove, and then you would have like, you know, knife gloves, or you could take like, uh, I don't know, like a, a stick, 
and then you could strap a sword on the end of it and then stick some dynamite to it and then it would be like a flaming or explosive spear or something you can make all these weird weird weapons and it was always fun but it was always kind of a drag because you would have to go and collect things from across the world and then go back to your base where you had a workbench and then and then make those things but then the things uh, had durability and so like you would kill a bunch of zombies and it would break and then you'd have to do it again and so like after a while you were just like fuck it i'm just gonna like grab a wrench like a single ingredient i'm not going to combine it i'm just going to use it and when it breaks i'll just grab another one because it was just too much hassle and in dead rising 3 they've totally revamped the system if you have something if you touch anything pick up anything the game logs it as being something that you own and you have an infinite amount back at your base and if you make something like a combination weapon you just got to make it once and then it'll be permanently stocked forever in your base so every time you go back to base, you can just get like infinite amounts of stuff that you want and you don't have to do it again. And it's so quick. And if you're out in the middle of the field, you don't have to go back to your base either. You can just pick up two things and make them like right there on the spot. So that was really smart design. I'm kind of surprised it took them this long to get there. But I think that the system improvements they've done have been great. I think technically it's awesome. I think this is a good use of open world design because number one, just like getting from point A to point B is a battle. Because, like, dude, like, pushing through an ocean of zombies is no fucking joke. And you can find vehicles and stuff, which is great. But sometimes you're just on foot, and it's it's tough. So it gives you something to do. You're not just driving from point A to point B. Like, you're like, oh, okay, well, this is too many zombies. I got to climb up on the structure. Maybe I can jump to the next roof. If I throw a grenade down, maybe that'll clear me a spot, and I'll jump in. I'll get to the next spot. And it really it keeps you engaged in what's going on. And the story's kind of goofy, but it's it's good enough to keep you goofing forward. And overall, I'm just like, I'm just like really, really impressed with it. I'm really having a great time with it. And it makes me kind of sad that they did not bring it to PS4 because there's a couple like connect things that they put into the game, which are totally superfluous and totally stupid. But if you took those out, the game wouldn't be missing anything. And I, I think that a lot of people would have really enjoyed this on PS4. So I, I love it. I mean, I think it's actually really great. I mean, did you, uh, you said you finished it, right? Yeah, I finished it. But you just thought it was mediocre? How come you thought it was mediocre? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I played it like a long time ago, so I am having trouble remembering a lot of it. Um, and you say I'm the old guy. Come on, bro. <laughs> um, but uh, I don't know. It's just one of those games where like if you play it, and I feel like you could say this about a lot of games, and I feel like it's a bad uh, thing to fall back on, and I say it about a lot of games, but I feel like it's one of those games where if you've played like 15 minutes of it, you've pretty much played the entire thing because there's not really a whole lot more in the game than just like killing zombies and making new weapons. And I uh, I don't know. I think I just thought it kind of got old after a while and it was just like there wasn't really enough going on. And it also did one of those stupid things where I can't remember specifically, but it, it does those things where it like halts story progress where... I remember in, like, the tutorial mission, literally, like, the first thing you do, correct me if I'm wrong, because you played it, is don't you use, like, a wrench to, like, beat a fence down or something or climb over it? No. No? Do you not remember that? Uh, no, I started it, like, three days ago. That No, that didn't, that didn't happen. Do you not, like, break a barrier in front of you to get through at some point? Like, I thought it was, like, the first thing you did in the game. Uh, I don't recall that. Uh, I mean, damn it. possible, but I don't remember. Why, did you get stuck at it or something? Well, no, my point is that if I'm remembering this correctly, and I might not be, like, one of the first things you do is you use some kind of tool to, like, break, like, a, a fence down or something to, like, get away from the zombies. And then, like, later in the game, 
there are situations where you like walk up to like a door to like a mansion or a department store and it's like kind of like a story area and it'll be like oh the door's locked you need this key and meanwhile i have like a rocket launcher in my back pocket and like a a traffic light that has a flamethrower on one end and like a electrified transformer on the other end and it's just one of those dumb things where it's like okay but i need the key to open this door i can't just blow up the i mean i know the game's not red faction but like i can't just like blow a hole in the wall and keep going and it's just one of those dumb like suspension of disbelief things but it's like okay you're gonna lock me off from progress from this door because i don't have a little key but meanwhile i have like 10 rocket launchers in my back pocket and it's just little things like that that annoyed me no that's a fair point and actually i do agree with that because i've come across several rooms where it needs like a specific key and i'm like what the fuck is all these locked doors like i don't know if it's story progress or if i need to you know earn something first or unlock something else first but yeah I've, i've come across a number of those and i did think those stuck out a little bit i mean there's so much content in the game where I was like, well, whatever, I'll just come back to it later and I keep on moving. But yeah, I did notice that. And I will say um, what probably my biggest disappointment with the game is that the side quests, I think, are a little bit boring. I think in general, when you're walking around and you're finding survivors, you want them to join your team or you want to rescue them. And it's it's been kind of a bigger deal in previous games. I don't think it's as big a deal this time around because people don't like to do escort missions which, you know, makes sense because usually they're terrible. But this time around, when you meet somebody, it's just kind of like a really lame fetch quest. I mean, I haven't done all of them yet, but it's like you see somebody on a roof and he's like, help, help, help. And you go to help him. And rather than like escorting him back to your base or anything like that, he's usually like, oh, hey, man, I'm really in the mood for a burger. Can you find me a burger? And if you give me one, then I'll join you. And I'm like, what? Fuck you. Wait, are you, you want to come with me to live or not? Like, I don't want to go like you know, make a barbecue and grill you a burger and then bring you a burger and then, you know, you watch you eat it and then and then you're going to join me like that. It's stupid. So I kind of stopped doing the side quest because I did like maybe five or six of them in a row and they were all like equally stupid. And I'm like, this is dumb. I mean, suspension of disbelief is one thing, but this is just flat out stupid. <laughs> but thankfully, the rest of the game is entertaining enough. Uh, I think just like making the weapons and just like surviving on a moment to moment basis keeps me pretty engaged. So I, I've been having a really good time with it. It's not perfect by any means, but it's great. And I think that if anybody likes the Dead Rising uh, series and you haven't played this one yet, uh, definitely play it because I think it's it's so mechanically improved. It's definitely worth it. I will say, though, that I don't like that it's Xbox One exclusive. And I had a real problem. I don't know what happened, but I didn't realize it was like one of those always online games. I, I just I must have glossed over that when I was starting my, my uh, campaign. And instead of putting it on single player, I just had it like on. And so some schmucko wanted to join my game and I didn't even know that was a thing until like this warning comes up and it's like, oh, you know, Bobby B69 Assmaster wants to join your game. And I'm like, oh, no, I don't want anybody to join me because they're going to like fuck around and ruin my progress and it's going to be distracting and I don't want to do that. And I don't know what happened, but that guy trying to join my game completely foobarred my Xbox One. It glitched out the quest that I was on. It glitched out the next quest, and when I tried to turn it off and log back in, it didn't even recognize my profile anymore. Like my, you know, like at the dashboard level, it was like, oh, who are you? Please log in. And like my profile is the only one on the Xbox. And I tried to log in. It's like, yeah, we don't recognize this user. Please log in. And I'm like, oh, my God. So I don't know what happened, but something went really screwy. I don't know if that's on Capcom Vancouver or if that's on Xbox One. I suspect it's on Xbox One. But 
anyway, it was really crappy, and I, I just wish it was on PS4 because uh, I just don't like being on Xbox One in general. It's a it's a shitbox. But game's great, and I'm digging it. So I gave it a thumbs up so far, and I do think that I will finish this one. I may not do the story, uh, the side content, but I will definitely do the campaign, and I'll wrap it up. And uh, Dead Rising 4 is coming out next year. Uh, multi-platform so uh i'm curious to see how they improve on this formula so yeah dig it overall good let's see all right so we had to rearrange a couple things on the agenda to make sure that we get spoiler section content at the end so um a couple of quick hits really quick uh let's see so killing floor two and Army of Two, The Devil's Cartel. Corey, have you played either one of these games? I have played Army of Two. I have not played Killing Floor Two. Did you play it with two people? Uh, yeah. Oh my god, this is so serendipitous. The guy who's visiting me this week, I literally played through all of Army of Two with him, split screen on my couch, like, in my old apartment. I didn't even realize that until this moment. But yes, I did play all the Army of Two games. I played full co-op. I think maybe with the same guy, too, as a matter of fact. So you played with Mr. Fancy Underwear the whole time? Yeah, and he was only wearing the fancy underwear the whole time. Oh, I, I just assumed that. I mean, you didn't have to say that even. I knew. <laughs> I knew that. <laughs> so uh, so do you have any specific memories? I know it's probably been a while because I'm kind of digging this one in my backlog uh, just like I did with Dead Rising 3. But any, uh, why don't you give us a real quick recap on Army of Two, The Devil's Cartel, and any thoughts if you have any in your young young brain oh god see now you're gonna date me because i don't even the army of two games are the kind of games where i i cannot tell you a specific plot beat of like any of them because they kind of all feel exactly the same to me but one thing i do remember about army of two the devil's cartel which is the third game is that in this one the two characters are brand new because in the first two games you played as the same two guys and i think one of them was voiced by nolan north i think and in the new one new ish one devil's cartel you play as two new guys and i think like the game ends up wrapping with like you finding the old guys or something like that i can't remember exactly how it goes but uh god i can't remember like anything it's just a lot of like ridiculous shooting and explosions and for whatever it's worth i think these games get shit on a little bit but I think the Army of Two games are really fun. And I only say that in co-op, though, because I bet if I played it by myself, it would be really lame. But just, like, sitting on the couch with a good friend and playing through the entire game, I think is a lot of fun. But they're so dumb and explo- – it's like Transformers, the video game. It's, like, dumb explosions, like, loud dialogue, like, machine guns and bros. and it- But it's so much fun. I think I think the games are dialed in really well, and I don't – Maybe don't think they get the credit that they deserve, but partially maybe because people don't play them with friends. And I hate to say, you know, oh, it's better with a friend because, like, you know, a lot of activities in life are better with two people. Um, but I, I don't know. That's how I feel about it. What do you think? Well, I think that's a really good point. Um, I only play these games because I like to play them with my wife. We're big fans of co-op, and so we're always looking for good co-op opportunities. And that was that was the entire reason I, I originally started playing the series. I played all of them. I haven't finished The Devil's Cartel, which is the third one, but we're kind of in the middle of it now. But, I, you know, I think that's kind of a good point to talk about where I do agree that, like, any game, even a really bad game, can be better with a friend. But I think that's different from a game which is, from square one, designed to be a co-op or multiplayer game. Like, if you have, like, a shit game, but there's like, you know, multiplayer that's tacked on and you got a buddy over 
and you guys are you know having pizza and a beer and you're you know making fun of you know you're doing like mst3k about what's going on or you're just laughing or you know shooting the shit like that's fun but it doesn't make the game better and i don't really necessarily see that as being specifically a multiplayer game like but i think that army of two is certainly one of the very few series where it is meant meant to be a co-op game from the start so if you're playing it single player and you can i definitely think that's not a good way to play it because the ai is nowhere near as good as a buddy would be assuming they know how to play games and you're missing out on the companionship i mean the whole the whole premise is that you guys are buddies you're pmc private military contractors uh you know basically guns for hire and the two of you are like you know a unit unto yourselves and so if you don't have that second person like you're kind of like missing the point of the entire game which i mean if you have a friend it's great and if you don't have a friend because i mean I mean, everybody's got friends, but not everybody can have game time with a friend because life, work, schedules, spouses. I mean, it's not an easy thing to always get together with somebody. So I can understand how some people might want to play this game and not miss out because they just don't have a second person. But I think that's just kind of a thing. I think it is meant. It is meant to be a two-player experience. And in that regard, I do think that the Army of Two games are fun. I have played a little bit single player, and it's awful. It's terrible. But with a buddy, I think it's good. But not in the... Not in the lazy good way. I think it's genuinely good if you have a second person. Um, I will say, though, specifically about The Devil's Cartel, I think it's bad. I think it's the worst of the series. <laughs> and the thing that I hate about it is that they took out all of the stuff that made Army of Two so cool. Like, oh, well, okay, maybe not cool, but, like, the the things that made it special. So, like, in the in the first couple of games, you would have, like, actions where you could, like, encourage your buddy. Like, in-game, you could give him a high-five give him a thumbs up or thumbs down you could give him like a fist bump if something cool happened and just like that stupid it's stupid but like it it added to the feeling of like you being a buddy right like it it gave you some warm human element to these giant you know meat monsters who are massacring people with guns but it kind of humanized them a little bit and it was just it was goofy um there was also an element where the two of you could team up like in certain conditions you would go like your characters would go back to back and then one person be shooting one way, the other person be shooting the other way, one go high, one go low. And like, you're totally like a team, like you're like covering each other's back and you take out a room like that's gone. The fist bumping is gone. Um, you used to be able to fake surrender to give your buddy a chance to get the upper hand on somebody that's gone. The aggro system, which I thought was really interesting in the previous games where one person would have a really loud machine gun. They'd be running in front, catching the attention of all the enemies. When that person was the focus, the other person, they would almost turn invisible because it would be like the video game's way of showing who everybody is looking at. And everybody's looking at the the guy who's making noise, right? So like the other guy, he would be basically invisible and he could run around and flank people. So it was like totally like a team mechanic and it was really great. That's gone also. I mean, it's like they still call it Army of Two, but there's nothing in it that really emphasizes the fact that you guys are a pair or a unit or buddies. It's just, it's, it's two people with guns. Sure. But there's nothing about it that really makes it stand out. I mean, you might as well be playing any other random multiplayer mode. I don't understand why they removed all that stuff because that was what made that game what it was and playing it through. It's like, yeah, I'm shooting guys alongside my wife, but there's no other mechanics to support it. I don't, I just, it, I don't understand why they did it at all. I just, it, you already had established it in the first two games and now it's gone. What the fuck? So I, I, I just don't even know. Um, 
Okay, so that was my quick hit on Devil's Cartel. One more quick hit, and then we're going to get into the spoiler stuff on Dishonored 2. Corey, have you played Killing Floor 2, or do you know anything about it? Uh, I haven't played either Killing Floor games, so I don't really know what they're all about. I didn't either until this week. And now that I know, I I don't care. So <laughs> Killing Floor 2, Killing Floor 2 is a first person I don't know if it's fair to say it's like an arena shooter, but you're like you're basically in arena with like a bunch like hordes of zombies. I guess maybe horde mode is probably more accurate to describe what it is. You pick a character and there's a bunch of weird characters that you can be like one's like a doctor and one's like a regular soldier and one's like a like a goth girl and one's whatever. I mean, they're all like really weird, random people that you might find on the streets of Portland and you pick a character and you go shoot these zombies. And like, that's kind of it. And as I was playing it, I was like, why, why is this even a game? Like, I don't get what the hook is. I mean, of course you get experience points, you know, there's different weapons. Sure. But like every game does that. There's lots of enemies to shoot. Every game does that. It's gross. I mean, the zombies look gross and shooting them looks gross, but you know, a lot of games do that too. And as I'm sitting here playing it, I'm like, where's the hook? What is the point? I don't get why. This is even a thing. I don't understand. It's, you know, uh, supposed to be an online multiplayer game. And shooting a bunch of zombies with two people is just as boring as it is doing it by yourself or with a group. It's just, there's just nothing to it. Like, I just don't even understand why a developer would take the time and resources and energy to create something like this. It's just, just a horde mode shooting. It's all it is. So I don't recommend it. If there's more to it, I didn't see it. If anybody disagrees with my take, I would love to hear about why I missed out on what was good about Killing Floor 2 because I played it for like maybe two hours and I'm like, I have done all I want to do. I don't want to play anymore. I don't want to see anymore. There's nothing else for me to do here. I'm done. One of those games that just really makes me scratch my head and wonder why anybody took the fucking time. So anyway, not a great impression of Killing Floor 2, which brings us to... Oh, oh, okay, wait, wait. We have question and answer, Corey. Q&A. Q&A before we get to the spoiler section. Q&A. 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 We got a question from JimB85 on Twitter. And anybody listening, if you have questions, please feel free to send them in to us on Twitter or via email, etc., etc. Jim's question is, and thank you, Jim, for sending this in. Do you think VR will have any significant long-term impacts or will it be a passing fad? Corey Motley, your take, sir. Oh, God, I have to go first. Uh, yes okay um this is funny that this is the question this week because i literally tweeted out like a couple days ago i wrote a tweet or something that said like oh has it been has psvr been out long enough to where people have already forgotten about it and aren't playing it so i can borrow someone's and test it out because i'm interested in it and i had like two people answer me and they were like oh i love psvr i still use mine and then I had two other people that were like, yeah, I literally have not heard anybody talking about VR like since it launched. So I, I feel like I'm not hearing anybody talking about it, which is not a good sign. But it could be that people are just waiting for better games to come out, maybe. Um, I very hesitantly want to say that VR is going to end up being a passing fad, sort of like motion controls and sort of like the Kinect and sort of like... 3d tvs and sort of like curved tvs like it's like all these dumb new technology things are coming out and each one has its like six month heyday and then it just goes 
Um, I do think, I mean, I haven't tried VR in any way, shape, or form, so I have no idea. I want to, uh, but I'm not going to pay hundreds of dollars to, you know, buy something that might not end up panning out. Um, but I, I don't want it to be a passing fad, because I think that, you know, having a video game strapped to your face is certainly a lot more innovative than, you know, waggling a controller around to do things in a game, um, but I just don't know if there's going to be enough development support behind it to really keep it going. Uh, maybe on PC that'll happen because there's a lot more development going on in the PC realm than on consoles. But uh, I uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? Um, well, I have tried VR. I've tried all the different VR sets. Um, except for the mobile ones. I haven't tried the mobile ones. But I've tried all the, like, the headsets that you put on. And if you haven't tried VR yet, I would encourage you to try it because it is better than you think it will be. Uh, I was a real skeptic. Still am, kind of, but I was really not thinking the technology would be as good as it is. And when I tried some of those sets, it really does feel like something special. Like when you put it on and you look around and it, it kind of makes you feel like you're there and just being able to look from every angle in a natural way. Like it is pretty cool. I, I have been kind of impressed with just the technology, like the ability to make you feel like you're somewhere else is, is kind of cool. But honestly, I don't think that VR is a good fit for games. And maybe that sounds like a weird thing to say, but I just, I haven't seen any games where I'm like, oh my God, like this can only be done in VR. Like this is the best example of why we need this technology. This is something that's really amazing and if it was on a regular 2d screen it would not be the same experience at all i mean i just i just haven't seen it yet i mean uh and granted i'm not out there i don't have vr in my home so i've only played demos here and there but i haven't seen any games that make me want to get a, a vr psvr or otherwise and i don't hear anybody really talking about it i hear i mean there's a couple of wonky guys on twitter or there's a couple of hardcore people in my circles who like you know, they've been beating that drum for like a long time. And so I kind of don't even listen to them anymore because they were on board before it even launched. You know, like you got to take a grain of salt with some of those people. And most of the people that I know who bought it, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, it looks real cool. But that's kind of like all it goes. It doesn't really, you know, I don't hear more people talking about it. I don't see any new game coming up where I'm like, oh, I really, really, really want to play that. That looks amazing. It just looks like, oh, it's another thing where you look around and yeah, it looks cool, but. Like, so what, you know, like I wasn't a fan of the waggle and the Wii mode and Wii bowling and stuff. I mean, I thought it was neat, but I thought it was a gimmick, which it ended up being a gimmick. And I think most stuff that comes into video games, like unless there's a really awesome use case for it, it's just going to go by the wayside. Um, I think I don't want to say it's a passing fad, but I think it's going to become a very specific niche. I think that VR games will be VR games and VR games will be different from console games just in the same way that console games are different from mobile games or different from handheld games. Like, they're all games, but when you're in the mood to play something on PS4, it's not the same way as you feel when you want to do some Candy Crushing. And I suspect that if you're in the mood for some VR, that's not the same mood that you're going to be in when you want to just, like, jump online and play Overwatch with some friends. So I think it's going to be just, like, its own niche thing. In terms of long-term impacts, the second part of Jim's question... I am really curious as to what kind of impact it will have on people's eyes, like their physical eyes, because it's right now it's not recommended for any child 12 or under to put a headset on. And so I'm curious as to see how that's going to pan out. 
And I'm also really concerned, very concerned, actually. Um, I don't talk about this a lot, but in my day job, I work a lot with um, mental health providers. And we talk about PTSD and trauma all the time. It's a real thing I deal with every week uh, for work. And I'm really concerned that people are going to be getting some kind of trauma like PTSD or some kind of really negative experiences from VR that's going to fuck them up. And it seems so far that scary games are the easiest, most effective games to do in VR. And I just, having worn some of those helmets, I know how it feels. And it feels different from playing a regular scary game on a TV. So I'm very curious and a little bit, well, more than a little bit concerned about how how that's going to mess people up psychologically. So I don't know. Uh, any further thoughts, Corey? Uh, not many, other than the fact that uh, like I love horror games, so that's actually one reason why I'm interested in PlayStation VR. Because um, uh, one thing that I think is both uh, clever and annoying to me is that there is a game out that came out for PSVR exclusive called Here They Lie, and I think about a total of maybe like 15 or 16 people have heard of this game. But I was like hyped about it since E3 when the first trailer came out. But it's like a, it's kind of like a walking simulator horror game. And I'm annoyed because it's PSVR exclusive. And like you said, like I get why they made it PSVR exclusive because like, you know, they want people to buy it. But I'm not going to pay X hundred dollars to play a $20 game that I'm looking forward to whenever they could just put it on a TV. You know what I mean? And I could play it regularly. Yeah. Yeah, but I understand why they don't, you know, because then who would buy the PSVR? But it just annoys me because I really, really, really want to play this game because it looks like super duper up my alley. But I'm not gonna buy PSVR just to play it. I mean, maybe like, and if PSVR goes down in price in a year, or if it's like on a good sale, or there's some like amazing bundle or something in the future, like I'll probably buy one. But like, I'm not gonna buy it now to play. There's like that's literally like the only game I'm interested in playing right now, and I want to play Resident Evil Seven on it, but. I, Resident Evil 7 is not VR exclusive, so I know I'm safe playing it even if I don't have PSVR. But uh, uh, yeah, that's probably probably my last thoughts, I think. That was my next question. I was going to ask if it was on your radar, if you had an ETA, is there any specific point at which you feel like you would go for a PSVR or any VR in general? Like if it was really cheap, like what's a good what's a good buy in price for you? Like if you could name your price for a PSVR, like what 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 would it take? Uh, you know, like let's say a Black Friday sale rolls around. Like, what would it take you to, to get into one? Well, this is the worst question ever for me, because for listeners that don't know, uh, I have to come clean and say I'm in a very weird spot in my life right now where I'm actually not working. Like, I don't have, like, a real job right now. So, uh, I technically, I wouldn't buy one at all because I wouldn't be spending my own money on it. However, my partner, Patrick, if he wanted to buy one, I mean, he makes a lot of money. That's why I'm not working right now. Um... I don't know what his threshold for buying one is. I'm kind of like crossing my fingers a little bit that he might get one for us for Christmas. But if he doesn't, I'm not going to be like heartbroken in any way, shape or form. So I don't even know if I can answer that. If I were working and making money, I would probably say like 200. I don't know. I don't even know how much. How much is the PSVR? Is it 300? I think it was 400. 400? Okay. I'd say like two to 300 maybe if I had like a normal day job and were working and making money. But right now I don't have any of those things. So I'm certainly not going to go out and buy a PSVR. I could be wrong about that price. I didn't, I didn't Google that before we got on the show. I think it's three or 400 bucks, whatever. Anyway, as far as me, I don't have any immediate plans to get PSVR. I don't think it's something that would fit into my life right now. Uh, Gaming is a really super social thing in my family and I can't imagine any of us 
being in a helmet. I mean, maybe if we had like three and me and my wife and my son could all play together, that might be something that we might go for. But that's totally not anywhere near our price range. And I don't want to just get one because that would like it would be really weird because we all play together. And even we're not playing together in the same game, but we're all like in the same room and we're like we're seeing what everybody else is playing and talking and interacting. I just don't see a helmet being part of that equation. Um, So I am not in the market for one right now, but I am keeping an eye on it. And if anything comes down the pike that looks like the killer app, the thing that you have to play in VR, the thing that really is the most amazing use case, well, I'll I'll give it a shot. But right now, not convinced. So, Jim, I hope we answered your question. Thanks very much for sending that in. And now, final section of the show. This is your spoiler warning for campaign discussion of Dishonored 2. This is the actual warning. If you don't want to be spoiled, now is your chance. Please hit pause. Come back later after you finish the game and hear what we had to say about it. Otherwise, this is the last warning you get, and we are going to be talking about everything Dishonored 2 right now. So, Dishonored 2, Corey, last week we talked about it, and now that some time has passed, you have finished it, and I believe you went back in for a second round. Sir, what are your further thoughts? Uh, I uh, I kind of... This is sad, because I kind of feel the same way I did last week. Um, but I do like it. I think this game is better now, because one of the things that I do with games, and I did it with this game, I did it with Deus Ex Mankind Divided, I did it with like the first Mirror's Edge... Um, one, the the first time I go through it, I always go for like some of the hard trophies, and I think that it makes me like the game less because it's harder, and I'm like punishing myself because my first time through Dishonored two, I tried to do no kills and no uh, uh, or ghosting, I guess, like no enemies seeing me, and of course I fucked it up because somebody saw me in the very first level, and I thought okay I can just finish the rest of the game out and then I can go back and replay the first level and it'll iron it out. Well, the fucking dumb thing about Dishonored 2 is that once you beat the game, you cannot replay individual missions. And if anybody's played Dishonored 1, you could do that in Dishonored 1. You could just go back, jump into any individual mission. So I think it's super bizarre that they didn't put that in Dishonored 2. Um, And I even tweeted uh, Harvey... um, I can't remember his last name. He's the creative director for... Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, I know what you're talking about. I tweeted him the other day because they announced that they were bringing a patch out that added New Game Plus, which I think is great. Um, In December, it's going to get New Game Plus... And it's going to get, like, some other difficulty, um, like, things that you can change. And so I tweeted him, uh, Harvey Smith, I think is his name, and I just said, like, oh, hey, are you guys planning on patching in, like, level-by-level selection support, like, in Dishonored 1? And he said it's something we're looking into, so I'm hoping that he's not just blowing smoke and that that's the actual thing. Um, But part of the reason why I didn't like it so much the first time through is because I, I was punishing myself. I was trying to be very stealthy. I was saving and reloading every 30 seconds. I was fucking up all the time because I'm an idiot. But I ended up making it through the game without killing anybody and on my second playthrough i'm basically killing everyone but i'm still but i'm being completely sneaky like i'm i'm going through as steadily as possible i'm not getting seen by anybody but i'm killing everybody which is actually a really satisfying way to play in my opinion usually i go for the no kills runs but the cool thing about um corvo because you can play as emily or corvo corvo has a power i don't know if emily has this where if you kill somebody, they their body disappears. So you don't have to hide them. Once you kill them, it's over with. Because if you knock the people out, you have to hide the body or you have to hope that somebody doesn't see them or whatever or that, you know, you basically have to plan it a lot further. But if you're doing the 
kill the people disappear when you kill them it's so easy because you just like blink down you teleport stab them in the neck their body disappears you blink away and it's like it's really satisfying it's like super ninja like but a couple of things i wanted to discuss uh, specifically and these are about later levels in the game is i think there are two really standout levels in dishonor 2 one of them is the clockwork mansion which is about halfway through the game and another one is called a crack in the slab which is about 70 or 80 percent through the game and the clockwork mansion is incredible because it reminded me a lot of uh the fort frolic area of bioshock one and that's the area with uh the artist i can't remember his name off the top of my head um but you have to go and like take pictures of dead bodies for him and he's always aware of you in the space and his um in his area and that's kind of how the clockwork mansion is because you get in there and it's a neutral zone when you walk into the lobby so you know that nobody's going to attack you immediately and you walk into like the lobby and it's it's kind of looks like a museum and there's like stuff on the wall and paintings and you there's a switch in the middle of the room and you pull the switch and the room like the walls start expanding and they like fold in like the floor folds in and the walls fold in and like new walls come out and like a staircase opens and the ceiling gets bigger and it's like like i don't I don't have very many, like, honest-to-God jaw-dropping moments in video games, but this was one of them, like, pulling that lever and just seeing the walls just separate and the whole palette of the room changing and it getting bigger and the stairs coming down. It was the most, like, one of the most magnificent technical works I've seen in a video game in a long time, and it was just so amazing. And the whole mission is like that, where you get into a room and there's some lever you can pull and the room will shift and change maybe it'll move up a floor maybe it'll move down get bigger get smaller and you can get into the cracks of the walls where you're behind the scenes and like moving around above the rooms and in the middle of the rooms and and uh, under the rooms and i just think it's a very clever mission design and the guy who owns the mansion his name is kieran jendosh he knows you're there when you flip the first switch so he's constantly like talking to you as you're working your way through the mansion and he's kind of like threatening you and he's very eccentric and i just think it's a really well done physical space in a video game and it's i don't say this lightly but it's really unlike anything that i've seen before in a game and i cannot believe that that team pulled off the logistics of making the mansion shift and move the way it did and i think it's fantastic um however going through it on a no kills no alerts run was fucking hard as hell that mission is so goddamn hard if you're trying to do um no kills no alerts and if you're not looking up some kind of guide for it because there's a really easy way to do it but it's not apparent unless you look it up online or you're just really clever and i'm not really clever and another mission I want to talk about, the crack in the slab, is uh, is la later in the game you get into a mansion and you get all your powers taken away. So it's a, kind of like an exploratory mission. There's not really any enemies. You just kind of walk around and it's this old gross mansion that has like, holes in the walls and there's like, trees growing up in it. And you get a, a time machine that you hold in your left hand. And this is weird because like it's, it's kind of like titanfall 2 the effect and cause mission i don't know how in the world respawn entertainment and uh and arcane both put out a mission that's almost exactly the same for sequels that came out years ago in the same year like somebody had to, there must be like a mole inside one of their companies but you get a time machine and you basically with the push of a button you can keep warping back between the mansion that's gross and nobody's in it and the mansion like from years ago when it's like beautiful and there's like a party and there's guards everywhere and it's elaborate and 
it's it forced me to think about the mission in a completely different way than i had thought about other missions in the game and the really neat thing is when you're holding like the object that changes time looks kind of like a heart and you hold it out in front of you in your left hand and you can actually unfold a little screen in the front of it and it gives you a window into the other time zone so you can be in one time space and be looking in another time space at the same time to kind of make sure it's safe or not to go to warp back and forth between them and it, it's just really, really well done and super clever. And it made me think a lot about how to navigate the space and how to navigate time. And I, I just couldn't believe how well done it was. And the, I mean, the Titanfall 2 level that does the same thing is interesting. But the cool thing about the Titanfall 2 level is that it's just like, it's kind of like you shifting through time to sort of like go on the defensive and kind of like escape crazy situations. Whereas in Dishonored, you shift through time to to kind of like solve puzzles and to get around and you have to take your time and be very slow and calculated and elaborate unless you just want to kill everybody but that wasn't what i was doing and i thought it was uh just a super fascinating level like those are two just uh, amazing levels in this game and i really hope that if anybody plays it and wants to play it all the way through that they get to these because they're just fascinating and technically very well done and i, I feel like i'm just sucking this game's dick dry right now but it's so good like the, the two levels are just uh, they're so good and they're so creative and i don't know they're they're just really magical and i like them and i've been talking a lot so do you have any questions or anything to break up me talking so much no you know i mean it sounds interesting um i did play did, did i did i mention that i played it on the last show or had i not played it by that point uh i don't know I think that maybe I had not played it at that point because I was waiting for Gamefly to send it to me. Um, so I ended up getting that game and I put it in and it, it was one of those games in my slump that I kind of alluded to earlier on the show where nothing was really clicking with me. And this was one where it just did not click with me. I mean, I think I, I said earlier uh, on a different episode that I just don't, I didn't like Dishonored 1. I was not a fan of that game uh, for various reasons. And I just, I just felt that to be true again. I mean, the, the Clockwork Mansion sounds really cool. And I, I, I do like the idea of using time uh, to navigate. I mean, I thought it was great in, in uh, Titanfall. It sounds great here. But I just didn't get into it. I started the game, chose Emily, went through a little bit. And I just, I just none of it was really connecting. I mean, I'm, it's not a commentary on the game. I'm sure it's a great game. I've heard lots of people say they really have enjoyed it greatly uh, this year. But... For whatever reason, it was not the right game for me at that time, and I did not stick with it. I, I just didn't want to deal with having to be stealthy, and I didn't want to do, didn't want to kill guys, and I didn't want to hide bodies, and I just I just it was not for me. Just not for me. Wrong wrong game, wrong time. Simple as that. No harm, no foul. So I just I stopped playing it, and I doubt I will ever come back to it. But it sounds interesting, and we've had actually a number of. Uh, interesting levels crop up in gaming this year i mean i think dishonored and titanfall 2 and i've heard some other interesting levels i've heard that battlefield 1 has a, an interesting level or two so i don't know if that's true but it seems like people are, are having good moments in games which is great i'm always happy to see little bits of innovation if we don't get large bits so well right on i mean uh, good uh, good on uh, harvey and the rest of the people at arcane it's <laughs> It's, it's going to pass me by, which is fine, but I've got a million other things to play. But it's, it's been a big hit. I see it on a number of people's end-of-the-year lists, uh, or, or soon-to-be end-of-the-year lists. Uh, very, very soon. Actually, gosh, boy, the end of the year is creeping up quicker than we think. Yeah. Just 
Just as a really quick side note, have you been keeping track of your games of the year? Do you have a rough list going? I have a, I literally, since the beginning of the year, and I think this is the first year I've ever done this, I have an ongoing list of games on my phone. And as soon as I, as soon as I start playing one, I list it. And then as soon as I finish it, I put it in a ranked list. So right now I have, I think I've played like 31 games this year. I have my complete ranked list of every game I finished this year. And I've got a small list at the bottom of the games I have not finished because I don't rank games unless i finish them so yes that is a long answer to your question excellent excellent we are going to have some stuff to talk about at the end of the year that sounds like a really good system actually i I have a similar system not exactly the same but similar i definitely keep track of all the games that i play during the year and well the notable ones i don't keep track of everything because i end up playing through quite a bit for game critics Uh, but anything that really catches my fancy or even just something that has a moment of really cool in it i will keep track of and i was uh Going over my list last night, you know, it's the end of November. It's going to be December pretty soon. And ironically, this has been kind of a weird year because most of my picks are really small, really niche games that maybe aren't great all the way through, but they had something about them that I found to be notable, whether it was a particular mechanic or whether it was one particular level or or something like that. I mean, a lot of my games, even for me, who I generally game on the fringe, it's a real eclectic mix this year. And ironically, when I went through and I started ranking them, you know, putting like an actual number, one, two, three, four, five, before all my picks, I only came up with seven. I still have like three slots left that I don't have anything in. And I don't fill those unless there's something that stands out to me. So I may end up getting to the end of the year with without even a top 10. So we'll have to wait and see. I mean, I'm sure we will get to that in another, uh, probably another four weeks or so. Still some time. Looking forward to... The Last Guardian, we've got some hope for that one. There's maybe a couple other... Oh, um, oh, that one coming from Grasshopper Studio. Do you know the one I'm talking about? The free-to-play on PS4? Is it Let It Die? Let It Die. Let it die. Big hopes for that one. So there's a couple that may end up making the list. Is there anything big that you're looking forward to or anything that you've got some hopes for before the end of uh, the year? Uh, I actually think Dishonored 2 was probably the last big game that I was... Uh thinking about and i mean now that i have watchdogs too because i wasn't sure that i was going to play watchdogs too before the end of the year but gamefly got it here thank goodness um those are honestly i mean i don't have a list in front of me of everything else that's coming out this year but uh dishonor 2 and watchdogs 2 are the last big ones because i don't care about the last guardian um i might try let it die but i don't really like grasshopper studios that much i know that like suda 51 or 51 however he pronounces it is uh you know he's highly regarded in the game industry he makes very interesting oh games. he's a hack i hate him i don't uh, i hate his work yeah I, he sucks. I, I don't i hate grasshopper studios i think they suck in general they've had a couple good games but no no i'm i'm not approaching this from a grasshopper fan perspective okay good but there's a different director hideyuki shin i believe is the director real nice guy i at pax and the game doesn't strike me as the typical grasshopper game so it feels like it's got more of his fingerprints than Suda 51s, which is why I'm interested in it. So. Good, good. Yeah. Because the, yeah, the only Suda game I've ever liked is Killer7, and everything else he's put out since then I think is garbage, especially Shadow of the Damned or Shadows of the Damned. That game got a huge yeah. fan reception, and I think that game is the fucking worst. The dialogue in it is so eye-rollingly immature and obnoxious. Oh my god, it's so fucking terrible. I do not understand why so many people like that game. Wasn't it the game where he had that gun and he kept saying, check out my, my big boner? Like, he said it like 10,000 times in a row during a shooting section. Yeah, it's like, yeah, you have the gun that talks. And it's basically just like, uh, the game is just entirely, like, awful, like, 
dick jokes that sound like they were written by a 13 year old which i guess is pretty representative of the video game space but i just cannot believe how many people love that game because it's so fucking dumb and the writing is so dumb and the mechanics like physically playing it isn't even that good i mean it's just an over-the-shoulder third-person shooter it's not like innovative in any way shape or form i only played it for like two or three hours and i bailed because i was like this is so i like i was embarrassed for the game as i was playing it because the dialogue is so fucking terrible that's how i felt about that game it's not a good game i don't like any of suda's games i didn't like killer seven i didn't like is this one killer is killer is dead is that is that a title killer i think that's one of his more recent ones yeah i haven't played that one that was god awful and he i have a lot of issues with suda his his uh, stance on women is really, really sketchy and questionable. His gameplay is not great. His dialogue is not great. I don't know why he has a following. I think he's awful. But I do like what I see about Let It Die. And like I said, it seems like someone else is steering that one. So I'm going to give it a chance. Also, free to play. What do you got to lose, right? Download it. Don't like it. Delete it. No big deal. <laughs> anyway, that is going to do it for this installment of the So Video Games Podcast. Thanks very much for listening. And as always, please send us your thoughts feedback ideas anything else you'd like to you can reach us at so video games podcast at gmail.com we're also on twitter at so video games so for this week bye from brad and bye from Corey. and have a lovely thanksgiving should you celebrate it absolutely enjoy your turkey if you're having that if you're having ham enjoy that too having a sandwich enjoy that as well whatever you eat if you celebrate enjoy and Corey and i will catch you next week bye bye